to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm interviewing Tamar Samuels. Her unique and holistic approach to healthcare integrates functional medicine, positive psychology, and behavioral change techniques pulled from her training in clinical nutrition and coaching science. Tamar has her master's in clinical nutrition from NYU and is a National Board Certified Health and Wellness Coach through the National Board of Medical Examiners. Her work in private practice includes treatment of disordered eating, stress management, PCOS, and sustainable weight loss. Tamar is also the co-founder of Kulina Health with fellow RD Vanessa Rosetto. Welcome, Tamar. Thank you, Nicoletta. I'm so excited to be here. Okay, so so many things I want to talk about, but since it was one of the last things I mentioned, um, let's talk about PCOS. Um, so for folks who don't know, uh, what is PCOS and how does it affect folks? PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it affects women who have ovaries. <laughs> and it's interesting, it's actually a condition that we diagnose based on a collection of different symptoms. We run labs, doctors run labs, and and, um, if your androgen or testosterone levels are higher, that's usually an indicator of PCOS. You can have polycystic ovaries or multiple cysts on your ovaries, but you don't necessarily have to. Most women with PCOS present with symptoms of irregular periods, painful periods, or periods that are infrequent, or they have symptoms that are related to having elevated androgens, like hair loss on the head hair growth uh, around the, the chin, um, also acne around the chin. So it's a really difficult condition that affects women. So I'm really passionate about supporting women in this way because it is really amenable to diet and lifestyle interventions. It's especially challenging when we discuss fertility, although I've definitely been able to support my clients in getting pregnant despite having PCOS. So it's it's not a it's not something you can't overcome. It just requires a little bit more TLC. Yeah. I was just going to ask, but yeah, for clients I've had who have had PCOS, they also report like struggles with weight gain or keeping weight off without the proper guidance. Also sexual functioning issues, like not feeling as sexual, whether that's because they're not feeling great about their body or because of a hormone imbalance. So I'd love to hear how, how have folks described any sexual functioning issues with their PCOS? Like what have you seen, how it can affect yeah, how people are happening sexually. Yeah, I think the conversation definitely revolves around like their weight and certainly like the abnormal hair growth. Like many women with PCOS have hair growth on their nipples, right? And that is um, can be shameful or embarrassing when you know you're in a relationship with someone and and they're not accustomed to something like that. Um, so I think as it relates to those symptoms, um, but also certainly the weight too. Women with PCOS really have dif- do can have difficulty losing weight, um, and it can feel extremely frustrating. And so, like body confidence is a big part of that puzzle too. Um, it's such a challenging 
condition. And it's just so interesting because not a lot of people talk about it and it affects so many women. I mean, it's really very prevalent. Um, so it, it has a huge impact on overall quality of life from a sexual health perspective. I mean, I would ask like, why don't more people know, you know, if, and when they have this, but I feel like that's a question I'm always asking when it comes to like women's sexual functioning and health. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's just not, not like not talked about. It sounds like that much. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of taboo, you know, it, it, there's just not enough, I think, awareness of, around it. Um, and I think there, there certainly needs to be, I know like on Instagram, there's a lot of, a, a lot of more like cool PCOS accounts out there, women and dietitians who are really talking about this more and making it more normalized. And certainly like, I think couples, you know, talking about it too, not just women, but, uh, but also men, you know, talking about their challenges with fertility. Um, and you know, one of my dear friends has PCOS and she actually has had totally regular periods, but um, just had trouble getting pregnant and she was diagnosed with it. She didn't have any other symptoms. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of women don't know they have it. And so if someone is listening and maybe thinking that some of these symptoms sound familiar, who should they go to, uh, to take the next steps and see what's going on? So typically your gynecologist, you could also talk to an endocrinologist about it as well. So typically they'll be doing the diagnosing. Sometimes we diagnose with an ultrasound to check to see if the, the, there are cysts on the ovaries. Um, but again, really like just getting your testosterone run um, and other androgens run by your gynecologist or your endocrinologist can help with diagnosis. But also like recognizing if you're having these symptoms, I mean, um, I know self-advocacy is so hard for people in the medical space for so many different reasons. Totally. And I, I know that it can be really difficult to talk about these things with your doctor, which is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. I mean, go back to like all my other podcast episodes I, and especially with this stuff, I have some, I have a lot of clients who have gone to general OBGYNs and reported some of this stuff and their OBGYN just like didn't have the specialized training in this. So like try to find someone who specializes in like potentially sexual medicine or endocrinology medicine yeah. and yeah, find find some kind of specialist, which is hard because sometimes that's more expensive or not covered by insurance or requires extra steps. And, and that can be a barrier to making it happen if you're already feeling frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even talking to your PCP, like if you have a trusted PCP, they can sort of support you on this as well. It's like from a medical perspective, perspective treatment lies under like general categories of like metformin um birth control which obviously is not an option if you're <laughs> trying to get pregnant um and then there's another medication called spironolactone which can help with the symptom the hair symptoms um and acne as well that's another a big symptom of pcos so um and pcps like generally prescribe these medications all the time so if for some reason you know there are financial limitations with seeing an expert um you could definitely talk to your pcp about this as well and so for you then, uh, what else is there to do? Where does the diet and nutrition fit in to, to help with this specific diagnosis? Yeah. So the nutrition piece is so cool and exciting here because there's like a huge impact. Um, you don't have to go on medication in order for you to see results. Um, it can be really helpful and there's certainly state room for medication in treatment of this condition, but, um, insulin resistance is really the root cause, one of the root causes of PCOS. Um, and insulin resistance 
is a condition which is sort of the precursor to type 2 diabetes. You can be insulin resistant and not have type 2 diabetes, but um, insulin resistance is a condition in which um, we have metabolic dysfunction in the way that we metabolize carbohydrates. Um, And so we can really work on manipulating carbohydrates in the diet to help to support hormone balance. Um, that doesn't mean we need to completely eliminate carbohydrates. We just need to make sure we're eating the right type of carbs in the right portion at the right time. Um, so that's a big part of the puzzle. There's also some cool supplements out there that can kind of help to support, um, women with PCOS as well. Um, and, and inflammation is the other big component of this condition. So really working on having an anti-inflammatory diet and increasing our produce, um, having a variety of different color fruits and vegetables, increasing our anti-inflammatory fats, um, like omega-3 fatty acids and, um, really integrating more of that in the diet. There's some research on phytoestrogens because women with PCOS have higher levels of testosterone and there are certain foods like soy, for example, um, that are, are what we call phytoestrogens. So they chemically, they sort of mimic, um, estrogen that is found in our body. And, um, so some research has found that women with PCOS may actually benefit from having more phytoestrogens, which are found in soy. Although with soy, I recommend having like organic fermented options. Um, and, uh, flax seeds are also a good source of phytoestrogens as well. So we can sort of help to modify that balance of estrogen versus testosterone because everybody has estrogen and testosterone, testosterone in their body. And we can help to, to support lower um, testosterone levels and higher estrogen levels by having more phytoestrogens in, in the diet. Um, and certainly stress is a big part of it too. And kind of working with my, my clients to really manage their stress levels can really help to support hormone balance as well. Um, so there's a lot we can do from a diet perspective. Um, and really, you know, in the work that I do, I kind of like to just work with my clients and where they're at right now, right? A lot of my clients with PCOS are doing really intense physical activity. So they'll be doing like HIIT training, for example, because I think that that's going to help them to lose weight. But actually for women with PCOS, um, doing, you know, fasted, intense HIIT cardio um, with a low carb diet increases our cortisol levels, which is going to throw off our hormones even more. So that's a big part of the puzzle too. It's sort of finding the balance between not, again, not eliminating carbohydrates, but making sure that we're using the right carbohydrates to support our cortisol levels as well. So it's a, it's all sort of assessing like big picture, what's going on in your lifestyle and then kind of modifying from there if that makes sense. There's a lot of science today. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I like, I like what you were saying about that. And it makes me think of in, in your bio, you mentioned functional medicine. Um, and this is like a, a newer topic, uh, to me, but for folks who don't know what that is, I would, I would love to hear you explain it. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is because I think a lot of folks out there see these articles or books or whatever, that's like very catch all, uh, overall approach for people to be healthier in some way, but a lot of times it's not catered to what's going on for that specific person. So you're hearing maybe like, oh, if I want to lose weight, I should cut down on carbs and work out. But for some people, maybe the, the way of doing that is actually making things worse. Um, so w- what is functional medicine then and why is that important uh, in our overall health? 
Yeah, such a great question. Um, functional medicine is a way of looking at treating people from a root cause perspective. So being able to identify the root cause of why they're experiencing um, certain health symptoms or conditions, right? And so from a more conventional medicine perspective, if we use diabetes or PCOS as an example, right? A patient presents with PCOS, we from a conventional medicine perspective, we're treating their symptoms, right? We put them on metformin to lower their blood sugar. We put them on birth control to increase their estrogen. And we put them on spironolactone to also help to lower their testosterone, right? So we're treating the symptoms, but we're not looking at the root cause of why they have those symptoms. And that's where functional medicine fits. So I'm Instead, I can't prescribe medication because <laughs> I'm not a doctor. So my tools are, okay, well, what is the root cause of your PCOS, right? The root cause is insulin resistant. And what what contributes to insulin resistance? A number of things, right? Um, high cortisol levels can, contributes to insulin resistance. Of course, genetics, which we cannot control, contributes to in, insulin resistance. But also um, the amount of carbohydrates that we're we're consuming can contribute to insulin resistance. So we're looking to sort of treat those factors so we don't have to rely on exclusively rely on medication in order for us to get results. Um, so if I have a client who is over-exercising, under-eating, and not sleeping, they're probably going to be insulin resistant because of all of those things. And their hormones are going to be totally out of whack because of that. So what do we do? We work on the sleep. We work on the exercise. We work on the diet. Um, and then that sort of over time helps to naturally balance out the hormones. It's not a quick fix. <laughs> I will tell you that it's the harder route, but it's, it's just as if not more effective without the side effects, right? It's kind of like an annoying and frustrating that there is even like a branch of medicine that has to be delineated functional medicine. Like I wish that was just a part of medicine in general, but yeah, we do live in a culture that does a lot of the like clean up the mess after the fact and address the symptoms and not you know, the root cause. And so it's, it's so annoying. It is, it is. And it's like, so there's, it's like such a macro level thing. It goes back to like insurance reimbursement, like physician burnout. Like there's no education about physicians, uh, about nutrition for physicians and lifestyle. Right. And, and there isn't enough awareness about dietitians and, you know, the dietitians that we do have, um, like I obviously love dietitians. I'm a dietitian myself, but you know, there's only 2% of dietitians who are people of color. So then there's that barrier, right? Like there's, mm. there's so much, um, here as to like why the system doesn't work. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's, yeah. it's a big problem, but yeah, one step at a time, we'll get there. <laughs> And uh, I mean, obviously, there's so many things we could talk about here, but it, I would love to hear you speak more about the, how there is such a dearth of like folks of color who are dietitians. Like, why? I mean, in addition to systemic racism, like, why? Why is that? There, you know, there just isn't much awareness. I think also nutrition is like very elitist. Like, I, I think, mm -hmm. I, especially now, I feel like diet nutritionists feels like this very elite sort of like influencer thing and you can't afford it unless you have a lot of money or power. Um, but the reality is that dietitians are healthcare professionals that 
take insurance. At least my company takes insurance. <laughs> um, and there is access. But I think like I didn't know a dietitian existed until I moved to New York City and just had exposure to that. Um, I think people don't realize that it actually like we as healthcare professionals exist. Um, and I think they're unfortunately within this space, you know, it's, it's, it's 90% Caucasian women. Um, and so I think nutrition itself feels elitist. And then we add this additional layer of like the lack of diversity. And, um, that is like a huge problem within the healthcare system, like overall. And, and I think, um, people of color or people of different body sizes don't feel comfortable talking to people who don't look like them about these really important issues regarding their health um, for good reason. In this episode, we talk about putting in the work to take care of the root causes of things. Great sex is the same. It requires work, effort, and investment. If you feel like your sex life has fallen into the same old dull routine, break those habits with something like a fun, sexy box from Like a Kitten. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. Like a Kitten has your back when it comes to planning a perfect evening. They take out the guesswork by sending you a themed box with all your erotic essentials. This month, they're helping you choose your own adventure with the BYOB box, aka Build Your Own Box. You get to choose one item out of their six categories, toys, beauty products, lubes, and cleansers, games, sexy accessories, and lingerie. Within each category, you have eight or more products you can choose from, so you can build an experience that's customized to your specific desires. For example, I chose a soothing high-on-love lavender and honey bath oil, a gold handcuff bracelet, a blue silk teddy, a really cute uh, rosebud butt plug, and some liquid lube because, you know, lube is your best friend. And lastly, a cute card deck called A Year of Sex, so you can try new things with your partner. But remember, these are just my choices. You can build your own box today with Like a Kitten. And again, right now, they're offering listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash S&S or use promo code S&S to get 20% off these incredible boxes. Likeakitten.com slash S&S and the link is in this episode's description. And if you just want some amazing lube refills, remember to check out Uber Lube. Uber Lube is a luxurious, high-grade silicone lubricant made from clean, body-friendly ingredients. It's just silicone with a little vitamin E, and this vitamin E leaves a velvety finish that actually moisturizes your skin. Right now, they're offering listeners 10% off and free shipping when you use my code S&S at uberlube.com. And remember, Uber Lube is for everyone. Thousands of doctors recommend Uber Lube as their go-to solution for patients experiencing dryness. But remember, if that's ongoing, you want to go check out a doctor, make sure nothing's going on, but oftentimes dryness just happens. And Uber Lube's simple ingredient list make it widely used by people with sensitivities to other lubricants. And remember, dryness does not have to mean that anything is wrong with you. You can be aroused and feeling desire, and sometimes your body just needs a little extra help. It's not a machine. So if you're also a human being like me, invest in some Uber Lube. Uber Lube offers long-lasting performance when you want it, then quickly dissipates without leaving a sticky residue. It feels like a nice moisturizer when you're finished. I have one in my purse, my shower, on my bedside table, and my travel kit. I even use it sometimes as just a little moisturizer for my body. And right now, they are offering listeners a special 10% off and free shipping when you use my code S&S at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use code S-A-N-D-S at U-B-E-R lube.com. 
now back to the episode. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is very different because I am white and and I'm coming from a place of having heard of dietitians and and knowing that. But like, I've got to be honest, growing up in in a place like LA uh, in this like thin diet culture. Whenever I hear the word diet, dietitian, nutritionist, I like notice myself like cringe and <laughs> resist like immensely. Um, and honestly, I, I end up being less healthy as almost like a fuck you to diet culture of like, well, I don't need this. I'm going to eat what I want, do what I want, uh, which doesn't necessarily help me. But I, I think there's this strong resistance to get caught up in this like uh, thin, perfect body diet culture when I've heard this. But h- how... Tell me more about your approach and how dietitian, yeah, how diets and nutrition can look different um, and not just be this like toxic diet culture. Yeah, it's so you know. First of all, the name sucks, right? Like dietitian sucks. <laughs> I think it's like it has the word diet in it, so like everybody's like, "Fuck that." <laughs> I mean, look, I like I like you. That's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. But when I first read the email with like to do the podcast, I was like, "Oh, dietitian, no!" Like you know, <laughs> totally right. And and part of that problem is that um, the word um, nutritionist is not licensed. Right. So anyone can call themselves a nutritionist without being credentialed as a nutritionist. Um, yeah, it's really scary. (laughs) It's really scary. Well, this is, this is true for some like sex educators and sex therapists too. There's no training required to call yourself that. Um, which yeah. in some ways it's good because it's like everyone can have access and you don't have to get a degree. And it's also like, how does the consumer find somebody who's informed? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, there's a problem there. And so the dietitian, the registered dietitian is, is truly like the healthcare professional. Like we have a very comprehensive science evidence-based training. So that's, that's a big part of the problem. But I think from like an approach perspective, I feel like nutrition right now is very polarized. There's this sort of like intuitive eating, fuck diet culture, anti-diet, eat whatever you want. And then on the other end is this, like more sort of science, I don't want to say science driven, but more like let's biohack our way through, you know, this world that we're living in with food with like keto and intermittent fasting and, you know, much more prescriptive approach to nutrition. And I think it's really important to like respect both sides, but also recognize that there can be a happy medium and that happy medium is like science and personalization. So my approach really focuses on that. I rare I rarely do intuitive eating with my clients and I rarely do keto and intermittent fasting with my clients that being said um I have a few clients who we've tried keto with and it hasn't worked but (laughs) we've tried it and I thought it was appropriate to experiment with you know so I think I think it's really scary for people to realize like there isn't one answer and you just have to try stuff and see if it works. And that's sort of like medicine. <laughs> that's what we all do is, is experiment. Yeah. So getting a little bit more comfortable with the discomfort of there not being these like concrete answers and trying things out to see what works for you from a behavioral perspective and from a physiological perspective. Yeah. So let's say I'm coming in as a new client. Um, what are some of the steps for us to figure out some of the root causes to make it more personalized? Yeah. So I'm, and my, this is how I train my dietitians as well. We're data junkies. So like, let's start by collecting information about you. I want to know, 
you know, what you're eating, when you're eating it, what are some thoughts and feelings that come up when you're eating, you know, what's your relationship with food like, what are your stress levels like, what's your overall lifestyle like, what are your preferences in terms of what you like to eat um, culturally um, or just personal taste preferences, right? So really understanding uh, the individual as a person and not thinking about nutrition in a vacuum, thinking about the fact that we all eat in these different contexts in our life, right? We eat for pleasure, we eat for stress, we eat for fuel, um, and being able to sort of understand nutrition in all of those different aspects of our lives is, I think, really, really important with for personalization. Um, and then working with your clients to really like identify what concessions they are and aren't willing to make like what are their priorities what are some things they want to change um where are there gaps in education and resources that i can fill in so really starting with a person and assessing all of those factors is so is so important for personalization that's sort of what our process looks like and I, I liked the included component of like, what is your relationship with food and how are you feeling about the food process and eating? Because I think, yeah, there's a lot of approaches out there that are like, just like you said, just give this prescription of like, do this thing. But if you've got this ongoing problematic or struggling relationship with food or with yourself or with your body, you're not going to be able to maintain some prescriptive diet. Um, so like where, where does the mental health, um, body concept fit into all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think really like unpacking that too with, you know, people's reasons for weight loss. So if we think about weight loss here, right? Like I feel like it's, I grew up in the nineties and, um, thinness, whiteness and thinness was a big thing. <laughs> and I didn't fit into either of those categories. So my body image really suffered as a result of that. And I know that that's still a thing now, but I, I feel like people are, are coming out and saying, you know, like we don't need to have like whiteness and thinness as like our standard of beauty anymore. And there's so much more awareness and access to like different body sizes and colors. And, um, you know, I, th I think we're, we're reshaping what beauty is, which is amazing. Um, but I didn't, unfortunately, growing up, I didn't have access to that, right? And so that, I yeah. think, is important to work with people on really understanding, do you want to lose weight because you want to lose weight for yourself? Or do you want to lose weight because of, you know, society's perception of how you think that you should look, right? And I ask people that all the time, you know, and, and um, I was actually just talking to this just talking about this with my dietitians, you know, really working with people and understanding what it takes in order for them to achieve that body size and asking them if they, if it's worth it to them, because, you know, you can get to this weight if you want, but you're going to have to make some concessions and those concessions can impact your quality of life. And, you know, you need to decide if it's worth it. So I think that's a, a really honest conversation that we need to have um, when we talk about our body image really understanding, you know, why we want to look a certain way. And if that's even something that we want, um, at the end of the day, it's about health, right? Mental health and physical health. And so the right weight for you is a weight. I always tell my clients this, I'm like, fuck the BMI. <laughs> what? And they're like, I don't know, how much weight should I lose? I'm like, well, 
I can't tell you that. The right weight for you is the weight that you can maintain in the long term and not go crazy and a weight that supports your health. Um, that is where you should be. And I don't know what that looks like in terms of a number, but we can figure that out together. Yeah. And some people still don't believe in this mind body connection, at least with when it comes to nutrition and food. So like, what, why are people still not making those connections? You think? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think if we look at our medical system, the way that we treat things is very fragmented, right? Like we have, if yeah. we have a problem with our mental health, we see a therapist or a psychiatrist, right? If we have a problem with our heart, we see a cardiologist. Um, and so like that separatism is like a, kind of ingrained within like our medical system. So I think that's a big part of it too. Like I tell people this all the time, like your brain is in your body, <laughs> right? And so the two are, and your brain also controls your body. So the two are very, very much connected in a very intimate way. And, you know, every tissue, everything that we, every tissue in our body, we fuel that with nutrition and that includes our brain, right? Um, so it's, it affects everything and it affects every aspect of our being. Um, nutrition is truly like the building blocks of life. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I don't want to generalize too much, but I guess I, maybe I will. I think if you're a helping professional, not coming from a biopsychosocial perspective, meaning you're looking at the physiological, you're looking at the psychological, the mental health piece, you're looking at the sociocultural piece in the broader culture, um, you're missing something. Mm -hmm. You know, especially for me when it comes to sex therapy, like there's no way I can treat most of the people I work with without first acknowledging or ruling in and out any physical causes um, and also looking at like where this fits in, in terms of that person's sociocultural experience. Like if we're not looking at this picture, something always falls through the cracks. And I have so many clients I've had that have had some serious health stuff going on, but nobody told them to check it out or like nobody told them that there was potentially something else going on. Um, and it's so like frustrating for those clients to be like, why didn't anybody tell me this or help me make these connections? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just as we were talking about earlier, the PCOS connection, you know, it's like you don't have sexual desire or maybe there's shame um, because of symptoms related to an underlying medical condition, right? And like that, that impacts like relationships and quality of life and body confidence. I mean, there's so many layers here. Um, and like we as healthcare providers really need to like make sure that we're addressing all of those layers. I mean, obviously we're not specialists and everything. And that's why I think coordinated care is so important, you know, um, to be able to say like, I, this is not my specialty, but I think you would benefit from working with a trusted yeah. practitioner who does specialize in this. You know, I think if your doctors aren't referring you out and having these important conversations, like I think something might be going on, this is not my realm, but let me give you you know, some resources so you can get the help that you need from them. We can both support you. Those are my clients who do the best, who have a team of people supporting them, right? Who have therapists, who have psychiatrists, who have endocrinologists, if they need them. And those team members are talking and to each other. And they all talk other. to each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Exactly. It's, it's just so important. I know. I wish that was the standard that things were centralized like that because it can be so hard to manage all these moving pieces. Oh, I know. I know. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, something, <laughs> yeah, something something else you mentioned too, uh, 
when we were talking about PCOS and things is just the amount of, I guess, time and potential of potential lifestyle changes uh, that one sometimes maybe has to make. And I think the thing that I struggle with and most of my clients struggle with is maintaining. Um, And so how do you support folks in trying to maintain um, when there's like triggers not to maintain every day, (laughs) like going out to restaurants with friends or feeling weird about ordering the thing you have to order for your health or not wanting to miss out on a fun night of drinking and partying. Like it's so hard to maintain this stuff over time. Yeah, I know. I think that's because of diet culture, right? Like we, we have these quick fixes that, that media is like selling us quick fix, quick fix. And the reality is that, it's actually the small things that you do every single day that help the most. Um, and so I think that that is a perspective that I really give my clients, right? It's really not this one moment of you, you know, eating something overindulging or, uh, you know, making a choice that isn't in line with your goals. It's less about that. And it's more about, you know, the everyday sort of small choices that you're making that support your health and like that counts and we can't undo that people often think like oh well I you know I had this indulgent meal or I didn't do something that I said that I was going to do from like you know a goals perspective and every all of the hard work is undone and I'm like that's just not mm. true you know the reality is that that doesn't go away um so I think gaining insight and perspective is really helpful and just shifting your mindset and being able to understand that, you know, there's so many opportunities for you to make a decision that supports your health uh, mentally and physically. And just because you make a decision that doesn't support your health in any given moment, there's another chance for you to do it in the future. Um, so I really like to talk to people about that. Um, you know, and also think, think about things big picture, right? When we're thinking about our week and all of the opportunities we have to eat, um, we don't need to be 100% in everything that we do all the time. And I think I get that so much people are like, well, I don't want to work out because I know I'm not in shape. And if I don't, and if I exercise at this point, I'm not going to get a good workout in. (laughs) And I'm like, well, you can just go for a walk and that counts. You know, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent. Yeah. It's these, uh, I mean, I guess if, if we're talking like behavioral stuff, it's these smart goals. Um, and if people don't know what that is, it's like, oh gosh, tell me if I'm messing up this acronym, but it's like small, manageable, attainable, realistic, and like timed. But I think a lot of times people set this expectation of perfection or their like New Year's resolution is like, I've never worked out before. Starting next week, I'm going to now wake up at 5 a.m. and run two miles every day. And yeah. it's like, bitch, you're going to fail. Yeah. Not because you're a failure, but because that is an in, like not workable goal for yourself. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people do sort of throw the, I hate this expression, but throw the baby out with the bathwater of like, if I don't do it in this full perfect way, then I'm a failure or I shouldn't do it at all. Uh, And then that's where people get stuck. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it, you can't be afraid. I tell people all the time, it's not about being successful and hitting your goals. It's just about trying and learning, you know, that that's the goal is that we're, we're learning about you and what works and what doesn't work. 
and then we'll build on that. And, and through the learning process, it's uncomfortable because you're not going to be good at everything. (laughs) You know, like it's just, it's just like being a parent, (laughs) which is something I'm doing for the first time. Right. You just kind of figure it out as you go along and, and then you get better over time. And then something else happens that throws you off and you learn that other new skill. And then over time you become better and better. And, And that's all we can really ask for from ourselves. Yeah, I also think it's the practicing the self-talk um, and kind of re, re-parenting or parenting yourself, right? So maybe your parents didn't talk to you about diet and nutrition, and now you have the opportunity to talk to yourself in a nice way. You know, like, how would you feel if a friend or a parent, if you ate the wrong thing, was like you suck, you fat piece of shit, like that probably wouldn't really inspire you to do any more, right? And just feel horrible about yourself. So if we can practice, even if it sounds cheesy, or you don't believe it, I think that that self talk of when you fall off the rails a little bit and have to get back on, it's so important, but it's so oh, it's so hard. It's such a muscle. Oh, I know it really is. I mean, it really comes back to like mindfulness and even knowing that you're doing it, you know, Um, and I think that's something we all struggle with so much because we're like on the go all the time and giving yourself that space to be present and just pay attention to your thoughts is the first step, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I was reading in your bio, um, on your site that one of the things that got you interested in, in this field was your own kind of journey with IBS. Um, and I'd love to hear a little more about IBS before we finish and just like, also how that relates to this mind-body connection. Because I would say most people I know with IBS have a lot of stress and anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's well, you know, like our gut produces more serotonin than our brain. <laughs> so I did not know. Okay, tell me more about this. So for people who don't know, IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. Um, but tell me about this serotonin thing, because I had never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. It's so fascinating. Um, so there's a very intimate connection between the brain and the gut um, from like a physiological perspective. And actually our gut produces more serotonin than our brain does. And so there are there's a ton of literature out there that has found associations between people who have IBS and are much more likely to have anxiety and depression and actually vice versa, right? Um, so if you have anxiety or depression, you're more likely to have irritable bowel syndrome or, you know, some form of sort of GI discomfort. I mean, you hear this all the time casually. People say like, oh, like I have diarrhea when I'm stressed out or I'm constipated when I'm stressed out, right? That's because of this mind, mind gut connection that we have. And so um, it is so challenging for people who have gut issues, because it can, you know, this, this interaction between the mind and the gut that goes kind of back and forth, it can be really debilitating. And so that's where I really struggled is, is, you know, I really struggled with like intense bloating and constipation and that would cause a tremendous amount of anxiety. And then that anxiety would cause even more bloating and constipation. And then I would perpetually just feel uncomfortable physically and mentally. And it was exhausting, you know? And then I think I really like leaned on food to help me to manage my symptoms Um, and so, you know, identifying all these food triggers, like, oh, well, I can't eat this and I can't eat that. And when I eat this, I don't feel good. And so then I like started restricting more and more. And that really like strained my relationship with food more and then caused a lot of stress. I would, you know, go out to eat and be like, I can't eat anything. Um, and 
just, it was this vicious cycle of, um, just feeling anxious all the time. Um, and so I got really frustrated and I got to a point where I was like, enough is enough. I need to figure this out. And I never really figured it out, <laughs> but <laughs> I stopped stressing about it and <laughs> most of my symptoms went away. <laughs> um, How <funny> <laughs> did you stop stressing about it? <laughs> well, you know, I did all of the things, right? Like I went to pelvic floor PT. I did all of the motility tests. I did breath tests. I was diagnosed with SIBO multiple times, which is um, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, right? I took the medications. I, I did all the things. I saw, you know, chiropractors and I saw um, naturopaths, but I also saw physicians. Like I, I did it all. <laughs> and it, some stuff helped. I did the low FODMAP diet, which is a, which is an evidence-based diet for irritable bowel syndrome. And it can help to support people. Um, but it's not a long-term diet because it is very restrictive and it restricts healthy foods like avocado. Um, and it's very difficult to navigate without the support of a registered dietitian. And I did it for like years because I like just did it on my own. <laughs> um, and while all of this stuff sort of helped me become a pre better practitioner and really sparked my interest in nutrition, um, I don't recommend this <laughs> for anyone else um, because it just drove me crazy and it made my IBS even worse. It was just so stressful. I just felt like really hopeless and helpless. And I think at the end of the day, I just gave myself a little bit of a pass and, and said, you know what, tomorrow you did your due diligence. You, you did the conventional medicine route. You did the alternative medicine route. You did all of these things. And like now I think it's just time for you to trust your body and just focus on stress management and try to eliminate this as a stressor. And I think more than anything, that is what helped my IBS. So I take probiotics every single day to help to support my gut micro microbiome. And without them, I wouldn't feel regular or normal. Yeah. <laughs> so like there's definitely things Well, but that this I is that, that again, that, that biopsychosocial approach, right? Yeah. Like maybe the medicine helps a bit, but also needing to address your stress as potentially the root cause. Otherwise it can snowball in all these different directions. And that's something that I teach a lot of my clients about who experience I mean, this is for all my clients, but one of the first things we talk about is their nervous system. And so for folks out there listening who don't know this, um, when you go into a stress state, like fight or flight state, um, one of the first things to shift is that your body is no longer able to digest. So you go from a resting and digesting state to your nervous system getting uh, turned on and aroused, not necessarily in a sexual way, but one of the things that stops then is digestion. And so there's a huge connection here between gut health and stomach aches and cramping and diarrhea and all this stuff if you are living a high-stress life, which a lot of us are right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and that also, like, going back to the PCOS conversation, right, like that fight or flight, the elevated cortisol has an impact mm -hmm. on insulin resistance as well and blood pressure and... Um, you know, again, I think it just like highlights how everything is so connected. And so like, you can't just take yeah. a pill to deal with that <laughs> one thing. You have to really look at the root of it all and it's harder. Yeah. Um, but you'll get results that are long lasting and it, 
the cool thing. I always tell my clients this, who are like, this is so hard. This is so frustrating. Like, well, you know what? We just work on this one thing. And oftentimes it fixes all the other things, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. find the root cause, like if the root cause is the stress, put all your apples in that basket. And then I promise all of your other symptoms will get better. Your IBS will get better. Like your sexual health will get better. Your relationships will get better, right? Maybe the root cause is nutrition and we focus on that and then everything else gets better. Um, But I think like just the cool thing about the human body is it it, like it's adaptable, like it adjusts. And um, when you figure out what the root cause is, then everything else, it helps to solve a lot of problems. Yeah. And just before we wrap up, since this is a sex and more podcast, any other things that you want to add about how our health and nutrition can affect our sexual health and sexual functioning, just either presenting things that you've heard from clients or ways that people can um, know that this can affect them sexually? Yeah, I I think, I think certainly when we're talking about body image, that's a big part of the puzzle, just body confidence and be, it, it doesn't like exclusive of weight, being able to understand your body, I think is very empowering on a physiological level. Like if there are barriers to connecting with your body from a a sexual perspective, if you can understand and connect with your body from a physiological perspective, like it's functioning, right? Without the emotion there, right? Be able to sort of understand your humanness. Um, I think it really helps people to just connect. Right. And I know that that connection is so important from a sexual health perspective. And so if that feels loaded for you, being able to connect with your body in other ways, um, can be really helpful. I talk to my patients about this all the time from like a physical activity perspective, right? Like don't work out to, um, lose weight, work out to be able to connect with your body. Cause that's like probably aside from sex is one of the most intense, ways that you're connecting with your body, right? Like you're doing a lot of things. You have to coordinate lots of things and you're, and you're really tuned in to your body during that time. Um, and so I think connecting with your body in that way can really help to support sexual health as well. And I've just found that to be true with my clients outside of the weight part, right? It doesn't have to be about your weight. It can be about your health. And I don't know if this is part of the work that you do, so tell, tell me if not, but are there any specific foods that do promote, like, um, libido and things like that? I think there's sort of all these myths of, like, eat oysters, eat this and that. Like, are there things that you've seen that, that I guess it could be, like, promoting energy, promoting blood flow, things yes. like that? Yeah, totally. Um, so from, like, an energy perspective, I think it's really helpful to make sure we're stabilizing your blood sugar. And we do that by not skipping meals, having protein with our meals, and having produce and fiber with our meals. That's a big part. Mm-hmm. And, again, that helps with cortisol as well. Um, so that helps with, you know, if your cortisol is high, it's going to be really hard for you to experience sexual pleasure, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, So really like managing cortisol levels by making sure that you're not skipping meals and having, you know, protein and fiber with all of your meals can be really helpful. Um, Zinc, the reason why people talk about oysters is because of the zinc factor. Zinc is an important mineral when it comes to testosterone. and, And sometimes people have lower libidos because they don't have enough testosterone. So eating more foods that are rich in zinc could potentially help 
with that. So oysters are high in zinc and other shellfish. Also red meat is high in zinc. So some people say that that's why you should eat oysters if you want to increase your libido. Mm -hmm. And then when we talk about blood flow, certainly water is number one. (laughs) Like Making sure that you're getting enough water is really, really important. And it doesn't have to be like very sciencey, like really just eight 64 ounces a day, start with that. And if it still doesn't feel enough, then increase from there. You can check your urine. If your urine is dark, then you're probably not having enough water. I also recommend things that are vasodilators, like beets help to dilate your veins and arteries, which Mm. helps with blood flow. So that can be really helpful, potentially, for sexual health, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if if folks out there listening, remember, that's that's not a one-size-fits-all. So if you are worried about your desire, your libido, your sexual functioning reach out to a doctor like the one I featured on the podcast last week, Dr. Joshua Gonzalez, um, who's a urologist that specializes in sexual functioning, get your hormones checked, like do this work to figure out where to go. Um, and if you are wanting to know more about that sort of, uh, being kind to yourself stuff, I had someone on the podcast a while ago, um, Rebecca Scritchfield, who wrote a book, body, body kindness. I know that Um, book very well. I refer a lot of clients. Yes. Yeah. It's great. Would recommend, um, but I I also, I, yeah, I think, you know, I can't recall what her training is, but I, I, her book was great. And I think it's a, it's a good approach to healing in a health way from the inside out for sure. Uh, But I also want people to um, hire you and check out what you're doing because it's so important. So how can folks uh, check out your company, get in touch, uh, find out more information? Yeah, so you can um, find out all you need to know by visiting kulinahealth.com. We are a um, nutrition telemedicine platform. So we provide uh, virtual nutrition, one-on-one virtual nutrition counseling, um, and we take insurance. So we try to be as accessible as possible to folks. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. Our handle is at kulinahealth, and you can find me on Instagram at tamarsamuels.rd. Tamara, thank you so much for joining. Again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, you can find me on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts because who knows how long social media will continue to allow uh, sex education materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, so remember to follow the podcast wherever you can, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Nicoletta.